So what could I say about Adrian Hurst, our guest speaker today? I, Adrian may not remember this, but I met Adrian when I was a, a youth, uh, at a youth camp, and he was sharing our dormitory. Do you remember this? It was in Surrey. It was a coin thing. Um, all I he was sharing our dormitory. He was one of the speakers at the camp. And I remember that we got up to some specific shenanigans that evening. So I'm assuming he didn't get much sleep, would be my guess, from the evening. Now, he, he sounds like he's just forgiven me or not remembered. Um, but we've, uh, since then, he has definitely not held it against me. Because uh, we've, um, we've done a few things, bits and bobs together since. And uh, just massively value, personally, Adrian's friendship in a load of stuff that me, me and him have worked on. But as a church, I think that would be uh, very much the case for a number of us here. Uh, he leads Oasis Church, uh, the meets in Harborn. And I always describe Oasis as our uh, BFF church. We're, we're, we're buds. We're together. And we are together on, on loads of stuff. And we did work that out practically as well as uh, praying for each other and stuff like that. And uh, it's an amazing privilege to have Adrian here. The thing about Adrian, I think, that strikes me most is he has a, a, a dogged determination to ensure that Christians uh, don't just sing about their love for Jesus, but Act it out as Jesus wanted us to do in love for other people. And uh, that's a wonderful flag to wave. And I, I just, I don't know if that will be in his talk today, but uh, I've just really benefited that. We've really benefited that. And it's a great pleasure to have you here, Adrian. So can we give him a big Church Central welcome? Great. Good stuff, mate. It is a real privilege to be with you. Just to give something of my story, I moved to Birmingham 20 years ago with my wife, Lucy. Uh, since then, we've had three kids, enjoyed life, and there is no other city on the planet that we would want to live in. Uh, we absolutely love this city, love the people in it, love all that's going on, and for us, every year it gets a bit better. Um, I think in terms of me, what I get to do is quite a privilege in terms of leading a church. However, that's kind of a weird thing to tell someone you do. And so at the moment, i am started a new thing, and I'm part of Streetwatch. I don't know if you're part of Streetwatch. And Streetwatch is it's kind of like you've got Neighborhood Watch at this sort of level, and the next level is Streetwatch. At Streetwatch, you're trained by the police, and you get to wear a fluorescent jacket, and you patrol the streets in order to bring safety. And, you know, someone of my physique obviously does that. And I decided that there seemed to be a lot of people in my road and the surrounding area which were getting really fearful and wanted to start this thing. And I, I thought, I, I really haven't got any time for this. However, just felt like, actually, no, I think this is a good thing to do, a good thing to be part of, not to kind of say, oh, yeah, there's lots to be fearful of, but rather a way of saying, let's be connected and let's also seek to connect others who otherwise might be vulnerable. And so that's what I'm doing. And so I was out on Thursday evening with a guy that I'm just getting to know who's retired and got to hear all about his life. And so we're walking, just the two of us, for about an hour. Probably 45 minutes of that is just him talking about his life. And then we kind of get to this point, and he, we're walking along a road, and he turns to me and says, well, what do you do? And I said, well, this is going to surprise you, but I lead a church. That means nothing to people. So I said, I'm a bit like a vicar. And at that point, he stops and looks at me and he went, you? Really? You? And I think that's been the story of my life, that people look at me and think, what, you do that? Whereas actually, I think probably a better way of describing what I do is I'm like a very unattractive cheerleader. I absolutely love getting alongside other individuals, other churches, and just saying, who you are is amazing. And God unbelievably loves you. 
and has called you to reveal his love to everyone that you get into contact with. And that is an unbelievable privilege. And my hope is today that's exactly what I'm going to do around you, is that literally you'll just remember, oh yeah, he's the guy dressed a bit weird, tartan trousers, who wears those? But a slightly unattractive cheerleader, hopefully, that will bring some encouragement to you. You as individuals, you as a church. And I felt like there was this theme that's kind of run through the morning. Actually, through I knew what Owen was going to speak on. I knew what I felt like I should share. And it's kind of all plant-based. And if you like, I'm going to look at two plant-based illustrations that Jesus looks at. One very briefly, I'm hoping that will bring some encouragement to you as a church. But then secondly, one a bit longer that I want us to dwell on and, and soak ourselves in. It's, it's quite a simple one, but I'm hoping we'll get something from it. So the first one in terms of a plant-based illustration is that of pruning. In John 15, Jesus starts off by saying that we are connected to him like branches to a vine. And in it, he then says that actually the Father is the great gardener who comes and prunes. And prunes what's fruitful in order that it can become more fruitful. And I felt like God wanted to say to you as a church, and obviously this is an obvious one in some ways, but I felt like there's a season that you're living with and in at the moment that is, to be, that is being characterized by pruning. It's a pruning as you've gone from one church, three sites, to three churches together. It's a pruning where something you've invested in in terms of cap has kind of been pruned away in order there'd be something different. And, and in it, I, wanted, I felt like God wanted to firstly say that he prunes things that are fruitful and that you're to hear this moment as an encouragement, that you've done well, that God's pruning you, not because it was dead wood, but rather in order that you'd understand that you've been fruitful. But there's a second part, and that is that God prunes what's fruitful in order that it would become more fruitful. And therefore, you're not to live thinking, oh, yeah, glory days have been and gone, but rather to live with this expectation of what is it that God's got next for us because it's going to be more fruitful than what we've seen before. That's the second thing. Third thing on this one is pruning's hard. It's painful. If someone stands up and says, oh, you know, it's totally fine, it's all good, it's brilliant that we're three different churches now trying to work out what it looks like to be together, and, and it's all brilliant, that's not true. Sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's hard. It's painful when you let go of something that's been really good, like cap. It may be in your life as an individual, you know there's pruning going on, and it's painful. But the deal is this, sometimes we have to let go of something good in order to get something better. See, when God prunes something fruitful to make it more fruitful, it means that sometimes it's painful because we let go of something that feels like it was the, the best it was going to get, but actually it was only good. And what God's desire is for you, for you as churches, for you as individuals, is to understand that in pruning, it's painful, but you're letting go of something good in order to get something better. And I know personally, I've known many, many moments in my life. I've known many moments for us as a church community where God has come and pruned us. And we've had to let go of things that have been good. And what we've ended up with is something that's way better. Now, our recent history, I can think through of standing in front of the church community at the beginning of 2017 and saying, hey guys, we're moving from a venue that we've been in for 10 years on and off at Edgebaston Cricket Ground. We're moving... 
and we don't know where, but we do definitely know when. And we had a definite date we had to move out by. And it felt like, oh God, you're pruning this. And it, it feels like this has been a really good place for us. But I don't quite know what you're going to do next. And then it felt like God then provided a venue for us. And we're like, oh wow, this is amazing. And we like went gun-ho for it. And it was all kind of lining up. And like a four-year-old has a, a dream. And in it, then sketches it out and shows me this picture. And it's this building. And as we're going for that building, it suddenly becomes clear that the owners of that building are happy to live with health and safety uh, and it not being very safe in a realm that we felt was just inappropriate for what it meant be, to be loving God, loving people. And so we had to get to this point of wrestling through and saying, God, it just feels like this isn't meant to be. We're, we're, we're meant to let go of this. But if we let go of this, there's two weeks to go and we have nowhere to move to. And so we say, God, we trust your pruning. And so we moved two weeks later from the Edgebaston Cricket Ground to a venue yet to be announced. That's a scary place to be. So as a church community, we moved out. If I need to change mic, it's okay. Okay. What will happen is you'll see me just switch hands because I use my hands all the time. So it will find that it will constrict me some way and we'll see what happens. But in that moment of saying, God, would we trust you in your pruning here. We then found that we did get a venue within a week. So a venue we'd used before became a temporary place of the Mac. Uh, and they welcomed us back. And the amazing thing is that we lost no one through that period of kind of like, where, where are we going to meet? We moved from somewhere and no one left. Everyone stayed. And then what happened is we then ended up at the end of that year, and I can't tell the story now, but ended up in a venue that I would have never imagined. We ended up in this 150-year-old, grade two listed Methodist church building that was a shell that everyone else looked at, and it was derelict, and it looked bad. But something, as we looked at it, it just felt like, no, I think we're meant to bring this back to life. And now we're in it, and it's easy to tell the story now. You know, two years in, you think, oh, yeah, it was easy. It wasn't easy. It was hard. However, what we discovered through that journey is that, yeah, God pruned us. Pruned us from somewhere that had been really good at Edgebaston Cricket Ground. We had an amazing relationship with those people. Pruned us in terms of what we thought was going to be a solution quickly to the problem we had. To then get us to this point where we're dwelling in this home that is way better than we could have ever imagined. And I feel like that's something God wants to put on you, that what God's doing in pruning you, and I felt like it's for some of you as seasons of life you're living at the moment, is pruning things that have been good in order that you bring about something better. Second plant analogy then, illustration. I want to look at something that's very familiar, and that is uh, living planting, or a planting as a way of living. That's what I want to look at. I want to look at a story that Jesus tells. A story, my guess is, that's very, very familiar to numbers of us in the room. But I, I felt like I couldn't get away from it. And it's going to tie into some of what Owen's already shared. But I felt there's something that God wants you guys to get hold of. And I found it really helpful of me getting hold of. In order that we'd live understanding what it looks like as we keep living following Jesus. So first illustration, pruning. Second one is this, a life of planting. In Matthew 13, Jesus says this. Here is another illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. 
It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. I feel like through this story that God wanted to give us some encouragement. God wanted to give you some encouragement. Some encouragement of what it just looks like to live lives following Jesus. What it looks like to live lives where you seek to plant who Jesus is into your life, into the surrounding area. But also what it looks like when Jesus brings about fruit and what growth looks like. And in it, what we discover in this very simple illustration are just some characteristics of how Jesus does that in order that it bring encouragement to us. And I just want to look at it, and we're going to look at basically some what we plant, some where we plant, and then how we plant. That's it's, it's very simple. And my hope is as we get through those three, by the end we're going to get to this moment of saying, okay, God, will you come and continue to plant the wonder of who you are and what you're about in my life, in this church, in the churches who we are together, and in the unique places that you've placed each of us. That's what we're going to get to, I hope. But let's start off then, what we plant. It's really, really clear. Jesus says this is all about the planting of the kingdom. The kingdom is obviously about a king, and the king is Jesus. And it's so important that we're not about planting something that's about our reputation. It isn't about you guys multiplying sites that become churches in order that the name of Church Central uh, becomes known through this city. That's not what you're about. I know that from the very early days. I remember moving 20 years ago to Birmingham and talking to Jonathan, and he said, why we're here is in order to see an NIA or an NEC. It was one of those. And I think it was NEC, a National Exhibition Center for Jesus. Because we want to believe that Jesus would be the most talked about person in this city. And, and I don't think you're there yet, are you? Therefore, there's still more to do, which is quite exciting. And therefore, what you're about is planting something that's been about why you exist. It's all about Jesus. It's all about who this king is. Not who you are and your reputation. It's who he is. And the wonder of the rule and reign that he reveals through his kingdom, which is a rule and reign of his love, his goodness, his rightness. You know, we haven't got time to look at that. I know that you have quality teachers in this church. I say, you know what this stuff looks like. But Jesus is all about love, goodness, and rightness. And that's what his rule and reign looks like. And so it's saying, actually, this planting is about Jesus and about his rule and reign. And then Jesus says, well, this planting of this seed that is about me and about my rule and reign is into fields. There's a where we plant. Jesus says it is that we have to get what we've got in Jesus and the rule and reign and understand that each of us and together we have fields that we're to plant in. And I'd say your fields are these. They're your lives. Primary place of continuously coming. And I, I daily pause. I have this little mantra. I pause so stop within my life, I center and say, Jesus, I put you back on the throne of my life. And I say in this moment, you are the king, and I want your kingship to be revealed through the whole of my life. And then I continue and say, Jesus, would you now cause every action I take, every word that I'm going to speak or not speak, to be about who you are and what you're about. And so it's about our lives. It's also about your church communities. You're in this a moment of working out what does it mean then 
that we're now three churches who are coming together with a fourth site on the way. It's like saying that's a place where you're planting in your church community that you're now part of, whether it's on the kind of south, the west, or the north, or soon to be the east. It's then who you are together. Like, the fact you're in this room is important today. Because I know this is your first time of gathering in this setting, as together. This is no longer one. I'm saying actually three sites, one church. It's saying, no, no, three churches, yet we're going to be together. We think this is still good to do. And so it's understanding this is a place where you're to plant. And fourthly, it's about who you are as church scattered. This is the part that excites me most. I love the moments where we gather like this. This is good. It's good to be encouraged, good to remind ourselves we're not alone. But I love the fact that we get to be scattered into many, many, many different situations in this city. Into the families that we're placed into, into the households that we're living with, into our recovery or our seeking for work, into our employment settings, the streets we live in, the shops we shop in. We're planted into those places in order that we can plant who Jesus is and what Jesus is about and his rule and reign. Therefore, what does that look like then? How do we do it? Well, Jesus says how we do it is quite simple. Is we're to live with an expectation, firstly, that it's small and weak. We don't like that, do we? We live in the West where we love big, strong, and a celebrity. Like, we love it when there's someone who's kind of made it. And we kind of, as followers of Jesus, we can sometimes kid ourselves that, oh, no, we're not a celebrity culture. We're really not a celebrity culture. But the truth is this. Whenever we find out that someone has made it to the big stage, and then it seems like they're a follower of Jesus, we're like, amazing. Let's make the most of them. Let's retweet. Let's Instagram everything about who they are, because suddenly we've got one of our own out there on the big stage. And then depending on how they live, depends on how we kind of say, well, yeah, we, we do own them, or no, 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 we don't own them anymore. So we like the big, the strong, and the celebrity. And yet, Jesus says, no, the way you're to plant is an understanding. It's always small, and it looks pretty weak. Jesus says, it's like a mustard seed. Now, we know that the mustard seed nowadays isn't the smallest seed, but that's not the point. Jesus is saying it's about small and weak. See, the thing is, when we understand it's about small, is it means we have to be careful not to see what we're doing or how we're living or how we're seeking to know more of Jesus' life within our own life as insignificant. I can think of a friend of mine, I love telling this story, uh, where she came and told me that she totally failed. She said, I went to see one of my neighbors and um, I offered to pray for them. And they said, yeah, that'd be great. And I walked away saying, I'll be praying for you. I should have stopped and prayed for them. I said, like, no, sorry, like, how have you failed? What did you do? And she said, well, I heard my neighbor was off work. And so I went to see them. And so I left my house and went over the road and took a bunch of flowers and said, I'm so sorry to hear that you're off work. At that point, my neighbor started to weep as she couldn't believe that I'd noticed that she was off work and was interested in what was going on. And then after she wept, I then hugged her and said, it's going to be okay. And then she told me about what was going on in her life, and I just simply listened. And then I presented the flowers, and she said, this is just beautiful. And then I said, look, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you. 
And she said, that's amazing. And she said, then I left. But I didn't pray for her there and then, so I failed. I said, I don't understand. I understand how you failed because surely what you did is reveal the wonder of who Jesus is and the wonder of what he's about. The moment you stepped across the road, you've said there is no division. The moment you listened to this lady, presented her flowers, gave her a hug, you brought the comfort that Jesus' rule and reign brings. The moment where you said it's going to be okay, you brought hope. And the moment you, when you said, I'm going to be praying for you, pointed to the one that hope is in. So, much, so often we see the actions we're taking, the yes to something or the no to something else, or the, the, the moment we're seeking to display something, we, we just see it as insignificant. Whereas we need to see, you know, it's often always small. And it has immense value. But it's also that seed can feel weak. And I think it's important sometimes to label that. It can feel weak, a weak, tiny little seed. And we tend to bolster up and think, no, no, it's about the strong. Look how strong I am. But reality is sometimes we don't feel strong. We feel weak. Maybe you feel weak because we just feel tired. Like we know what it is to keep planting, but it just feels tiring. And for some of us, I felt this today that for some of you, you just know what it is to just feel tired, weary from doing good. And I felt Jesus just want you to know that he's coming, coming today to bring you strength. But there's also that sense of weakness, actually, because we're fragile. Paul writes about the fact that we have this treasure in jars of clay. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel really fragile as a jar. I, to be honest, the last three years, I've probably had some of my most frail points of living. I've known four close people die uh, in the last two years. I've known people I really care for suffer uh, from physical illness and mental illness. I felt stretched um, in both directions and sometimes felt incredibly paper thin. I felt what it means to feel fragile. Still got the treasure, but I feel like this jar that, man, I feel like it could break sometimes. Here's the deal I found is that actually in understanding that Jesus plants small and weak is that Jesus uses in my, me my fragility. And there's this lie sometimes that we believe is that Jesus is only going to use us when we've got it together. Whereas actually, no, Jesus uses us in our fragility. I found over the last three years, the more and more I talk about my fragility, the more and more I've talked about the vulnerability that we as a family unit are going through, it doesn't breed kind of that sense of let's not talk to him. It actually breeds a sense of, oh, this is what's going on in my life. The numbers of people, both in church communities and outside church communities, that moment that you sow fragility and vulnerability, it breeds vulnerability and fragility, which is reality. And I feel like it's so important. Anyway, we need to speed up a bit. So it's small and weak. It's slow. I love those videos that Owen showed 
of just how if you want to get an oak of righteousness, it just takes time. Yeah, we live in a society where we want everything instantly. We, you, know, you just have to look at how we consume our information. You know, we've gone from a moment of reading paper to looking at screens and reading screens, and then it got too much to just read, so we have to just consume through images. And the more and more images we consume, the more and more we think we can know. And everything's quick. And that's not how we're wired. It just takes time. Good things take time. I had the privilege um, a number of years ago now to listen to Reverend Jesse Jackson. And it was just him talking about his reflections on being present when uh, Barack Obama was inaugurated as president. And it was probably one of the most moving moments that I've been part of. It was a very small group of people. I was very privileged to be in the room. And to hear Jesse Jackson just say how he wept as he saw Obama becoming president. And then he said that he wasn't weeping because of President Obama becoming president. He was weeping because of the 40 years previous and the journey that had taken to that point. He said, I was weeping about, and then he started naming these different women and just the moments they'd spent praying and standing. Now, I'm not going to make a political comment of, obviously, there's much that still needs to happen in terms of civil rights in many, many nations, including the US. But what struck me is so often we can think that something good's going to happen quick, whereas actually this was a guy who said, no, this had been 40 years in the making, and still, and still, there was a journey to be had. And I think that's something we need to hear sometimes, that it just takes time. That when we're planting and seeing more of who Jesus is and more of what he's about in our lives and in the lives of others and in society around, it just takes time. Because God builds something that's strong, and God builds something that will last. But the thing is, when you're living like that, you just have to be careful that we don't become frustrated or disappointed. Because if you become frustrated and disappointed, you can start to think there's no point in carrying on. I've got a friend of mine who's cut my hair for 15 years. And we have many different conversations. We have conversations at his chair where he's cutting my hair. We have now conversations outside of the chair where we go for a coffee and he'll ask me great questions which will silence the whole, silence the whole of the uh, hair salon. So the last big question was, do you think Jesus sinned? And the whole of the salon goes silent at that point. That was a great question. So we talked about what do we think sin is. Didn't ever get answered the question, do I think Jesus sinned? We just talked about that. That was enough. But with him, we've been having conversations for 15 years. We've been sharing life for 15 years. And he still would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. He's now got other people I know who follow Jesus who get their hair cut by him. And he's let on. He said, if there's anyone who's going to cause me to become a Christian, it's Adrian. But don't tell him. Ha, 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 ha. I know. But the thing is, there can be a point where you can get, but it's 15 years, Adrian. Move on. No, planting is slow. And therefore, we have to get used to understanding. It can be frustrating, disappointing. Therefore, how do we leave with disappointment? Because if we're not careful, if we get disappointed, we will give up. And I felt like for some of you today, you're potentially at that moment of thinking, man, I'm just going to throw in the towel. 
And I felt like, no, don't throw in the towel. It's a moment of just deal with disappointment. There's this great story in um, John 11 where Jesus encounters uh, one of his friends who's died and his sisters. So Lazarus has died and he encounters his sisters. And in that moment, both sisters have to convey something about their disappointment in who Jesus is because they knew that Jesus could rise him, raise him from the dead and, and he hadn't come. He hadn't healed him. And Jesus, we know at the end of the story, he does rise Lazarus from the dead. But the point of that story is in order that we'd understand so many different things about who God is and who we are, how we handle moments of disappointment, as well as how we handle moments of suffering. Because through that story, we haven't got time to look at it in detail. I'd say there's four things. Firstly, it's about recognizing. Recognizing that you do feel disappointed. Both sisters come to Jesus and in their different ways articulate how disappointed they were that Jesus hadn't come. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. God is big enough for our disappointment. But we have to recognize it. We have to say it, what it is. Actually, I feel disappointed. I feel like I'm about to give, throw in the towel. I don't know if I can keep going on on this. And then it is that having recognized that confess and express, they have to say, Jesus, this is how I'm feeling. Did you see that? Not Jesus, blah. It, this is how I'm feeling. Do I have to say, I feel disappointed. I feel angry. I feel like this was going to make a difference. And it doesn't feel like it has. I feel really broken. I feel whatever it is, the emotion, like God's big enough. We have to give articulation to it. Then it's having confessed and expressed it, then we receive comfort. You see, this is my, probably my favorite verse in the whole Bible, is where it just goes, Jesus wept. Like, moved by what he saw, he wept. That brings unbelievable comfort to me. I've been in many moments where I've just thought, Man, why Jesus? And there hasn't been the answer of Why? Rather, there's the God who weeps, who comes and weeps with me. And that brings comfort. And then lastly, it's that having received comfort, we receive perspective. That yeah, the end of the story, Jesus says, hey, but Lazarus, come out. That in our disappointment, we get back to understand the bigger story, that Jesus, what you're about is seeing the wonder of who you are as king and your rule and reign revealed through the world. Wouldn't you, if you could? I would be doing that. Um, and that's what happens. I read this great quote from N.T. Wright uh, recently, and in essence, I'm going to summarize it for us, because I just thought it was just so good. So he looked at Genesis 1, and the moment where Jesus restores the sight of the blind man in um, John 9. And then he says, Jesus never answers why, there's darkness and chaos and suffering. But in both situations, what God does is he uses the raw material of darkness, chaos, and suffering to bring in his light and his creation. And for me, that's the perspective that then changes, that in this moment where I'm feeling disappointed, I've started to express it to God, I get to that point of saying, but God, I know that in darkness, in chaos, and in suffering, those are the kind of environments that your light breaks in and that you bring about your creation and the wonder of your rule and reign, Jesus. 
as it gives that perspective. Because not only is it small, slow, but also that there is a promise through this story that it will grow and it will be fruitful. This little seed will grow to this big bush. I once did this uh, kind of stats on this. If the kind of growth that goes on, the exponential growth of, a mustard, growth of a mustard seed to a mustard plant, it's called a tree, we'll come on to that in a moment, but it's basically the equivalent ratio of me at my height, which is just around six foot, growing to three times the height of Mount Snowden. That's, that's quite a big growth. I think people had noticed that about me if that happened. I think I'd definitely be a celebrity at that moment. But that's what Jesus wants to see is that there is hope. That as we plant in the wonder of who Jesus is and his rule and reign in our lives, in the situations we're facing as a church, as churches together, within the places we're scattered, we're to expect growth will come. It may start from small, maybe slow, but it will bring growth. A growth that's fruitful, but also a growth that will benefit others. See, at the end of the story, Jesus says, this plant becomes a tree that the birds come and nest in. What Jesus is saying is that actually this moment, the growth and the fruit isn't just for you to enjoy. It's always to benefit others. And for the people he's talking to, is using analogies that they'd have understand that a tree always spoke of who they are and that the birds spoke of other nations. And the fact they're coming to build their home in the tree means, oh, they're going to be blessed by what we're blessed with. There's a principle here that as we live planting who Jesus is, is a king and his, and his kingship into our lives and into the church, into the church together, into our scattered settings, that it won't just benefit us, it will always benefit others. And I felt for you as a church, there were particular ways that you're to believe that God wants to do this. First is actually what Jesus always intended, it's for the nations. And I felt like that you as three churches, but also who you are together, have always had the nations on your heart. You've sent many to the nations. But I felt like part of your future is you're to get ready to send many, many more. And actually, you're going to gather some from the nations in this city who are then going to be sent to the nations from this city. That's the first one. The second thing I felt God say in terms of this is you're to be, understand you're going to be a blessing to people who are not like you. And I think what Owen shared is really important for you as a church. That actually, who you are isn't who you're going to be. There's people that God is going to gather amongst you. They're going to be blessed by what he's done in and through you. But it's going to cause you to look very, very different to who you are. Now, as that happens, that means that you have to keep in mind that God's doing this. Because when it becomes less and less like us, it's hard. Because I kind of like it being like me because I like me. I like the things I like. I like it to look this way. I like the worship to sound like that. I like people to talk for that long. I like it to be pretty structured. I want everyone to arrive at this time, everyone to leave at that time. Definitely have drinks beforehand. Definitely have drinks afterwards and a bit in the middle. That's what I like. But that isn't how it has to be if we're going to gather others who are not like us. And so it means you have to be prepared to let go of something good in order to get something better. Therefore, we'll land this, shall we? 
I think that's a good way to do it. We need to live lives of planting. Two questions. Where are you planting at the moment? That's an uncomfortable question because I'm taking the assumption that you are. And that means for some of you, you're thinking, I haven't been. Or I've started to pull back and think, I, I don't know if I can keep going. And I believe Jesus wants to remind you, you know, I've, I've called you. I want you all in. I want you in in your home life, in your recovery, in your workplace, in your studies. I've called you there. I've called you in, in your life. I don't want areas of your life not to be under my rulership. It's a moment of saying, Jesus, these are my fields. I want to seek to plant you and your kingdom in them. And then it is, will you keep planting? Again, these are rubbish questions, aren't they? That's like a closed question. You're going to say like really nice open questions where everyone goes, well, I don't know what I think about that. Then they say either yes or no. Yes, I will keep planting or no, I'm not going to. I respect both of those. I struggle when people fudge it and say, well, you know, bit of this, bit of that. No, no. Yes or no. You say, I'm, a, I'm a guest in. I can do this. You know, at the end of the day, if you don't like me when I leave, it'll be fine. I, I'm okay. I can offend you. But it's that moment, isn't it? Because actually, if it's no, I respect that. Because it's like, actually, no, I'm not going to do that at the moment. Now, that may not be no forever. It might be no because I know I've got to deal with this stuff. My disappointment. Or actually, if I'm honest, I'm just living without Jesus of King and his rulership, rulership in my life. So how can I start to do it in others? I just need to deal with myself. Utter respect for the no. The yes is like, yeah, I'm up for it again. I've had to let go of something good to get something better. But Jesus, I want to keep planting who you are in my life. Be used by you in the church I'm part of. Be used by you in the churches of who we are together. And be used by you in where I've been scattered. And Jesus, I come in my weakness, my frailty, my disappointment, and I say, come and use me.